Hey, I'm Judah. You're about to hear a message about Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope it is an encouragement to you personally. I want to remind you, if there's anything we can do to serve you, please go to churchhome.org. Join us on Pasture Chat. We want to ensure that you feel loved and cared for. All right, let's get to it. Here's the message. I'm so honored and privileged to spend a little time with you this morning. And uh, I'm gonna read to you a passage of scripture and then we'll pray and then we'll begin to unpack it. Is that all right? I'm gonna be in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning at verse number 21. Hebrews chapter 11. When you're there, say, I got it. Not there yet, say, wait on me. Uh, Got it, all right, I hear you. The scripture reads, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your presence that goes with us. We ask that you would transform us and renew us in our mind in this moment so that we could be more like you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I want to speak to you for a moment from the subject matter I remember. I'm a big documentary guy. Uh, Certain people learn by reading books. Other people learn by listening to music. I learn by watching documentaries. Is there anyone that likes watching documentaries? Uh, uh, During the pandemic, one docuseries came out. Uh, I consider it to be one of the greatest docuseries of all time. It was called The Last Dance. And this gave me an opportunity to really show my son uh, the greatest to ever play basketball. And uh, this this series would come on Sunday night. So after church, he would go down for a nap. Me and my wife, we would wake him up. We would all put on our Chicago Bulls stuff and we'll sit down in front of the couch. And and, uh, the series would start and I would look over and they would both be asleep on the couch beside me. And so I'm sitting here reliving my childhood dreams, watching Jordan, and uh, he's going to work, and he's in practice. He's screaming at the people, Scotty, Dennis, ball, ball, ball. And documentaries can teach us so much if we just pay attention to the documentaries. This particular docuseries taught me that although you're born great, you have to practice your greatness. Every single day of your life, you wake up, you have a decision uh, whether you are going to be great uh, by practicing your greatness or whether you're going to settle in the routine of comfort. Uh, Another documentary that came out during the pandemic was one called Free Solo. This one was pretty crazy. It was about this mountain climber who liked to climb uh, mountains without any safety harness, without any safety rope, without any net, without anything. And I'm looking at this docuseries and my wife was like, yeah, we used to do that growing up. She's from Vancouver, Canada. And I'm like, you know, I have no desire to do that. Uh, Do you guys like to hike out here? Uh, I don't like to hike. Uh, Grizzly bears, all types of animals, they like dark meat. They'll find me in the woods. 
I'll become a snack real quick. And so I don't like to go in the woods just to hike with two toothpicks going through the woods just looking at stuff. I can do that on my phone. <laughs> and so this person, he's climbing up this mountain and, and he has no harness, he has no net. And, and the, the, the uh, host of the docu-series asked him, you know, what happened to your finger? And he says, well, when I was climbing up the mountain one time, I stuck my hand in this crack and I slipped and I lost my finger in the mountain. And I thought to myself, if a mountain eats my finger, I'm not going back on that mountain. I have zero desire to go on a mountain that eats my finger. And I'm sitting here looking at this, this guy and, and I'm like, what is the desire to just go up on this mountain that's 3,500 feet with no safety harness, no, no mountain. And the thing I learned from that documentary is although God will give you your mountain, he won't spare you the climb. I love that documentaries teach us something. I came across another documentary. It was called The Boy Who Could Not Forget. It was about this 19-year-old kid named Arielan Heyman. You can research this. He could not forget anything. He remembered everything from the time he was born till present day. And at the age of four, his parents quickly realized that there was something different about their son than other kids. He remembered in great detail everything that he had ever done. And so they took him to researchers, they took him to scientists, they took him to uh, doctors to research and scan his brain, and they uh, quickly realized when they would sit him down and they would interview him uh, that they uh, had came across a young man that was very uh, unique and, and really special, and they diagnosed him uh, with a condition called hyperthymasia, which simply means no matter what he did, he could not forget. Researchers begin to ask him at the age of 19 uh, what he did on his second birthday. And in true fashion, he began to tell them in great detail what he did. And unbeknownst to him, each of these researchers, scientists, and doctors had a copy of a picture of what he had on for his birthday. And they would ask him, uh, what did you have on? And he told them, I had on a red jacket. And it was particularly cold on this particular day, which was odd because uh, it, it did not uh, get cold cold at that time of year where he was from. And he would tell them the shoes that he had on, the color of the shoelaces that he had on. And, and everything that he remembered, he connected to an emotion. Everything that he recalled, he connected to how he felt. Everything that he reflected on, he connected to a moment. And in that particular documentary, led me to think if we can connect some of the things, maybe not all of the things, but some of the things that Jesus has done for us to an emotion, maybe we wouldn't so quickly forget how far he's bought us from. But when, we, when you really think about where you are now in comparison to where you were, and you really recall and reflect and remember, it should bring you to a place 
of gratitude. Well, one of the things that I've learned over the course of leading and over the course of my Christian walk is that the grateful cannot fail, but the ungrateful cannot succeed. No, no matter what you do in life, if you can keep an attitude of gratitude, you can find some level of success in it. One of my mentors told me one time, he says, even when it seems like you're losing, as long as you learn, you can't lose. As we read this passage of scripture found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it says, now Jacob in his old age blesses his two grandsons while worshiping, dying, leaning on the top of his staff. And I read that and I began to think there has to be more to the scripture than what I see. And so I came across this research paper that this rabbi did. And in this research paper, this rabbi, his name was Carl, began to say that at the age of two years old, every Hebrew boy, every Hebrew girl is given a staff. Now today I don't have a Hebraic staff. I have a Home Depot staff, but it'll do. At the age of two years old, each boy and girl is given a staff. The, the reason they're given a staff isn't for sheep, isn't for balance. It's for them to mark it with a memory. It was their notepad. And they would take a knife and they would carve into the staff starting from the bottom everything they could recall about what Jesus or at the time God had bought them through. Every time God delivered them out of the hand of the enemy, every time God made a way where there wasn't a way, every time God blew their mind, they would make an inscription, a marking, a symbol on their staff. So every time we see a staff in scripture now, it takes on a new meaning. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, when God asked Moses, what is it you have in your hand? It wasn't that God could not see that Moses was holding a staff. It was that God was trying to remind Moses of the faithfulness and the consistency and the enduring power that God has given him, even in the face of Pharaoh. So when God asked Moses, what is it that you have in your hand? He's trying to get Moses to remember and recall the testimony of God's faithfulness. And the reality is, is the staff was the only thing that Moses had. The sheep that he was tending to were not his own. They were his father-in-law's. When Moses left Egypt, he left with nothing but the staff that he had in his hand. And after God asked him what he had in his hand, God asked him to lay it down. The staff that Moses was holding represented his life. And God was asking Moses to lay it down. And you may be familiar with the story or you may not be familiar with the story, but the, the scripture continues to read that after Moses lays down the staff, God transforms that staff and he does something with the staff that he could not do if Moses continued to hold on to it. And today, I believe God is asking some of us to lay down our lives so that he can transform it and do things with it that we can't do in our own ability and in our own power. And God says to us, when we place our lives in the hands of Jesus, Jesus can do more with it than we ever could. 
After God transforms Moses' staff, he then tells him to pick it back up again. And, and the next time we see Moses with his staff is when Moses is standing at the shore of the Red Sea and God tells him to lift up your staff. And I don't believe God was telling Moses to lift up his staff as some magic wand to open up the Red Sea. I believe God was telling Moses to lift up his staff to remind Moses of the time he sent leprosy and the time he sent frogs and the time he sent the angel of death. And every single time that God performed he provided a mark on his staff. And so when Moses is standing at the shoreline of the Red Sea, he's looking at the faithfulness of God to build his faith for the thing that he has to now do. And he's reminding himself that if God did it before, God surely can do it again. And I wonder, am I talking to anybody right now at church home that believes that God's faithfulness never stops? And if he can do it before, he surely has the power to do it again. My grandmother used to say, son, what he's done for others, he'll do the same thing for you. So Moses is standing and he's looking at his staff. And it says he lifts up his staff one time and God opens up the Red Sea. And it says that the children of Israel walk from one side of the Red Sea over to the other side on dry ground. And then it says again that he lifts up his staff again and the sea closes. And I believe every single step of the way, God desires for us to remember his faithfulness. Another time we see the staff in scripture is when we Read about David. And the Bible says that David grabbed his staff before he grabbed his five smooth stones. And if you're taking notes, I just want you to write down a couple of thoughts as we continue. And the first thought is this. In order for you to move forward, you have to remember to forget that there's some things that you've been carrying that Jesus never desired for you to carry. Yeah. Here's the reality of our lives. We either cast it or we carry it. We can't do both. That there's some things that you have to remember to forget. Jacob, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, he's in his old age. He's lived a, a life that was riddled with ups and downs. There were things that Jacob did that he was not proud of, but at the end of his life, he's worshiping. He has selective memory. He's not remembering every time he failed. He's remembering every time God delivered him. And if we change our perspective from looking at our failures to looking at how God delivered us, it gives us a little bit of oomph in our try. How many of you know what triumph is? Triumph is only a little oomph after you try. That's it. When you think about it, when you really, really think about it, triumph is only a little oomph after you try. When you come to the end of your road, that's when the super kicks in to supersede your natural. But in order for that to happen, you have to change your perspective and not look at how many times you fail or have fallen, but look at how many times God has picked you back up again. You have to remember 
to forget it. You have to have selective memory. My five-year-old son has selective memory. I tell him often, I said, son, I need you to go clean up your room. Five minutes have passed by. I passed by his room, it's still dirty. I said, didn't I tell you to clean up that room? He says, huh? I said, what? And then he says, oh, daddy, I forgot. I said, it was less than five minutes ago, son. You are choosing not to remember. You are choosing not to recall. And just like he does, you have to choose not to remember some things. Isn't it crazy how the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin? God knows your sin, but he always calls you by your name. His word says that he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Isn't it awesome that God gets the opportunity to forget some things that we should also forget? And if God has forgiven you of it, why haven't you? You have to have selective memory. David has selective memory. His life was also riddled with ups and downs, but he somehow, some way, found opportunities to thank God no matter what season of life he was in. One particular passage that I love, he says that I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth, which means in good seasons, I will bless the Lord, which means in bad seasons, I will bless the Lord, which means on my mountaintop, I will bless the Lord and in my valley, I will bless the Lord, which is an indicator to me that my praise to God is not based off of how I feel. It's not, it's not based off of what I want. It's not based off of the condition, the circumstance, the season of life that I may be in. It's based off of my convictions. And I'm so thankful that my convictions always supersedes my comfort. Isn't it crazy how in the Bible it never asks us how we feel? That would be nice, wouldn't it? God told you to do something. This is how you feel about that. Well, you know, God, I really think this is uncomfortable. I haven't read in Scripture one time where God told us to do something, and then he follows it with, with how does it make you feel? What do you think about that? Are you good with that? Because that's what I want. If you're good with it, I'm good with it. No, he tells us to do it because he's always, hear me, concerned more about our future than he is our comfort. One of the things that we have to understand and learn is that our destiny moves towards us at the speed of our obedience. And when we are obedient to the things that Jesus desires for us, we get moved a little closer to what it is he desires for us to walk into. Scripture teaches us that if we're not careful, we'll hold on more to what we have than to who it is that we should be holding. You know, the only time we have a problem giving is when we honor what we have more than who we're giving it to. When we hold on to our lives 
when we hold on to things, we put more focus on us than to the person that we're giving it to. How many of you know you can't fix yourself? You can't clean yourself. You can't make yourself. You can't really change yourself. Here's why. You didn't create you. I love fishing. I've never caught a catfish that was already cleaned and deep fried ready for me to eat. (laughs) Never. That would be awesome. Every fish that I've ever caught has to be cleaned. It has to be seasoned. It has to be prepared. And we are the same way. You cannot clean yourself. You cannot fix yourself. But every single time you remember who can and you return to the person that made you in the first place, he presses reset on your life and he allows the page to be turned from your past and allows you to start your future. Is there anyone grateful that we serve a savior that does not judge us based off of what we've done, but he allows us to be called a son and a daughter. How many of you can remember that you are not what you have done? You are who he says you are. Point number two is this. Each day is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to him. God has not called you to copy someone. God has called you to become someone. Another time we see the staff in Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, beginning at verse 38, it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened his own sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to this. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in his pouch. Listen to me. Before he grabbed his weapon, he grabbed his memory. Some of us need to remember the faithfulness of God today. Some of us need to recall when we thought that the situation or the circumstance was going to overwhelm us, but somehow, some way, God overwhelmed it. Some of us need to remember when we thought that we would be held hostage to what it was that we did, that the Savior, the King of Kings, freed us from the chains and the shackles that some of us have even put on ourselves. God has not called you to copy someone. He's called you to become someone. And when you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, that's your gift to God. When we wake up in the morning, when we identify, understand today is a good day because today we're alive to see it. Then when we take in breath, And when we exhale that breath, that breath is worship to God. We have to understand that each day is God's gift to us, but what we do with it is our gift to him, which gives Psalms 23 a whole new meaning when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Listen to what he says next. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have you ever thought or considered how in the world could a staff comfort someone? How in the world could a staff bring comfort to someone that is walking through the valley of the shadow of death? The reason it brings comfort is because it's a reminder. It's a notebook. It's an indicator that God has brought me this far and he has not brought me this far to leave me where I am. He's brought me this far to show me that I have so much more in front of me than what I've left behind me. And I wonder, is there anybody that has an expectation that the rest of your life will be the best of your life if you you put your life in the hands of Jesus. David says, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you can remember, if you can recall, if you can reflect, if you can attach something that God has bought you out of, something that Jesus has delivered you from, if you can remember it, it gives you enduring power to make it through whatever you may be going through right now. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. When you walk out of this moment today, some of you need to have a spiritual staff that you look at and remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. Even when you are staring in the face of adversity and staring in the face of uncertainty, you have to remind yourself that God has not brought me this far to leave me. Here's the reality of our lives. God has never failed. One passage says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I seen their seed begging for bread. You have to remind yourself of what God says when what you see is contrary. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? Oftentimes we believe it's doubt. The reality is the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is what you see. Because it does not take faith to see what you already see. It takes faith to believe that what God said is possible will in fact happen the way that he says it will. That's why in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That hope is not, I hope so. That indicates doubt. That hope is an eager expectation, an eager anticipation. I wait with weighted breath to see the promise of Jesus fulfilled. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus always leaves evidence 
for what you're about to see. And he leaves the evidence through remembering his faithfulness. He he leaves evidence through remembering his consistency. You have history with Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment because oftentimes we forget about the history that we have with Jesus when we're faced with the current test or trial. And so many times we think that what we are facing is the thing that will overwhelm us, take us out. But the reality is, is God has brought you out before. And you have to look at your spiritual staff. You have to look at the markings. You have to look at those things that bring you back to a place of remembering and remind yourself he's been good before. He is good now and he'll be good in my next. I want you to write this down, point number three. Any progress apart from your purpose always gives birth to pride. I have this saying, any blessing, any season that blesses me, any instance that blesses me that I don't turn back into praise will eventually turn into pride. I'll begin to think that I made that happen. You know, there's a saying going on now that I manifest it. I manifest it. You ain't manifested nothing. <laughs> you, you don't have the power to manifest anything. Listen, it's either the power of Jesus manifesting something or the power of the enemy manifesting something, but you don't have the power. Hear me, but we know who does. And any progress in my life, aside from my purpose, always gives birth to pride. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, Jacob is at the end of his life. The Bible tells us in Genesis that at this particular stage, he is blind and he's reflecting over the things that God has brought him out of and over. And he comes to the place where he worships, leaning on the top of his staff, the staff representing his memory, the staff representing the faithfulness of God, the staff representing everything that God has brought him over. He's connecting his memory to the emotion of how consistent and faithful God has been. And every time he thinks about it, it brings him to the place of worship because he understands that he didn't have the power or the know-how to bring himself out, but God did. Do you know that worship is the only thing that God can't do? Worship is the only thing that God can't do. In Genesis, it says that he created the heavens and the earth. He separated light from darkness. He he created land from sea. He made all the animals. But worship is the one thing that God cannot do. Because in order for God to worship, that implies that God has to acknowledge that there's something higher than him. And there is nothing higher than God. So God created us to worship him. But he created us to worship him. Not because he wants to worship, but because we benefit from it. Hear me, family, when we worship, three things happen. We remember, we reconnect, and we get reset. 
When we worship, we remember. It's a correction of focus. It takes the emphasis off of us and it puts the emphasis back on Jesus. When we worship and acknowledge that there's something and someone higher than us, it reconnects us to the purpose of why we are here. Family, a life without worship is a life unfulfilled. A life without worship is a self-serving life. It's a life where we have made things about us instead of the one that created us. And there is no one that knows you better than the one that created you. I know you think you know you, but you don't know you the way he knows you. I know you think you know where you're going, but you don't know where you're going the way he knows where you're going. And when you return your life back to him through worship, he reconnects you to purpose. He resets you. He, he places your feet on solid ground. He renews your mind. He refreshes your spirit. He revitalizes your soul. And he does things that you can't do for yourself. I love technology and I love all that technology has provided for us, but every now and again, technology messes up. I remember getting a phone one time and I got the phone, it worked for two days and after two days, the phone stopped working. And so on the back of the phone, it has who made the phone and in the box, it has a manufacturer's guarantee that says if within this window of time, this does not function the way that it's designed to function, you can return it to the manufacturer. And it's the same promise with Jesus Christ. Anytime there's something in your life that is not functioning the way he designed for it to function, you can always return back to him because he knows your life better than you know your life and he knows your season better than you know your season. And every time you reconnect through worship, he resets you, and he restores you. There is no one greater than Jesus. And that's why we recall, we reflect, we remember, and we just don't stop by remembering. We always transition from remembering to worship because anything that we're not grateful for, we will eventually lose. If you're listening to me in this moment, just take this time to remember the faithfulness of Jesus. Sure, life may not be perfect. You may not have everything you want. You may not even have everything you need, but thank God for Jesus. Because it's because of him that you don't have what you deserve. I don't have what it is that I deserve. And he gives us a life that is far more significant when we live it with him than we could ever discover and live on our own. I just want you to stand to your feet at this time. I want you to bow your head for a moment, close your eyes. Some of you can recall, get a moment, get a memory 
at the forefront of your mind and others of you saying, I, I can't, I can't really think of a moment in time where Jesus was good to me or Jesus was good for me. And I would say to you that there's no better time than to make a memory right now. See, as humans, we oftentimes return to the last place we created a memory of passion. That's why for some of us, we return back to the place that we promised ourselves we wouldn't go back to. And for others, we find ourselves back home because home was the last place we created a memory of passion. That's why the prodigal son, whenever he lost his friends, whenever he lost his possessions, whenever he lost his money, he found his way back home because home was the last place he created a memory of passion. And there's some of us in this moment that need to create a new memory. If that's you today and you want to reconnect your life to Jesus, you want to reset your spirit, you want Jesus to refresh your soul, I just want you to stretch your hand up right now. I see that hand. I see those hands. I see those hands in the back. I see those hands up front. And if you have your hands raised, or even if you don't, I want you to repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin and I turn towards you. I ask Jesus that you would forgive me and cleanse me and make me new again. I remember that I can't save myself, but you can. So I trust you, I believe in you, and I confess you in Jesus' name, amen and amen.